Speaking of ominous... And we'll find out... And we'll find out what it what. Ugh, sorry. And we'll find out exactly what it was next week. Live from the Mundangerous Sorting Center in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 130 of Total Party Throw, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about how to get involved in play-by-post gaming. But first, the rogue traders deliver themselves to evil in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, the mailman fights through rain, sleet, and gloom of night in the character creation forge. So for all you listeners out there, whether you are a Patreon supporter or not, uh, please note that we've got a relatively new reward up at the $300 level. Uh, if we hit $300 per month in Patreon donations, we will, much to our chagrin, uh, review the Forgotten Realms campaign setting. Yeah, and you can also check out the other uh, rewards that we have put up on Patreon, including the Character Creation Forge Codex. And the annotated history of Brand Talandro, you can find all of that on patreon.com slash total party thrill. All right, Shane, where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? So the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader game played using Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. And the crew of the His Enduring Light have just rescued the crew of the stricken Chartist vessel Ambition. They have salvaged its precious cargo survived a battle against Chaos Space Marines, and then somehow escaped the destructive wake of the Chaos Reaver, Ravager. We survived meeting Chaos Space Marines. When they showed up, I did not think that would happen. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it it took a minor miracle, but uh, it happened. And you know what? Minor miracles are what the Emperor does. That's what fate points are for. Uh, Also, yes, we did deliver precious cargo. Um... Not the living human beings that we rescued, obviously, but a crate. <laughs> uh, yeah, an, an imperial reliquary, a holy um, box, basically. <laughs> yeah, it's, hopefully uh, containing something important. It's uh, at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark when they put the ark in a big wooden box and like stick it in some warehouse in Indiana. Exactly, a museum where it belongs. <laughs> Why? Why not just like? Take it around and let the Nazis open it. <laughs> right. Right? Hitler gets his face melted off. Everybody wins. So from your rescuing of the crew of the Ambition, you have learned that they were on a secret mission uh, transporting that cargo and had a meeting point set up with a contact from a rival rogue trader's uh, fleet, Lord Captain Duhan Roth. And you've decided uh, we're going to head there. We're going to make contact with Roth and see where that leads us. Yeah, because if you recall, Roth is another is a much more powerful rogue trader dynasty than us, and we kind of screwed him over, and we'd really like to not have him hate us anymore. Right, yeah, you screwed him over on a deal uh, with a cache of uh, pirate weapons that uh, that were, were definitely, definitely pirate weapons. <laughs> and, and not Necron weapons at all. <laughs> right. Uh, but more importantly, while that is true, you did not get into a trade war with him like you did with his rival, the Serena dynasty. So, you know, of the two big players in the sector, he's the one that you've got the best chances of warming up to. 
plus 30 of his crewmen are not dead. Also, we have his cargo. Right. And really no way to offload it, so the best thing to do is probably collect the finder's fee. Exactly. <laughs> so you do that. You head to that meeting point, and within a few hours, you are met by a ship. Uh, it is from his fleet. It is called the Light of Ascension. And you are getting a little nervous. You've been sitting in, in empty void space for a couple hours and just waiting, and you know that there's a Chaos Reaver who is ostensibly chasing you. And so when they arrive, you tell them, hey, look, here's the situation. They're probably not far behind. Uh, we got to go. You can stay if you want. I mean, if you don't believe this, that's fine. That's fine. Just, you know, you'll see. Right. <laughs> uh, so we decide, all right, we're going to make a couple of quick warp jumps, try to lose the trail. So we have Flare pop off three of them, and it seems like we didn't kill off one of our allies in the process. Right. <laughs> But you never know. Uh, right. <laughs> and then you are led by the Light of Ascension to a planetary system you have never heard of before called the Malajact system. Uh, so bad screwed. The Malajact system. <laughs> yeah, that's not quite right. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway. Mm, I know what happens. I'm pretty sure that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, when you arrive there, you quickly realize that uh, the majority of Roth's fleet is here. Uh, they are set up in sort of a defensive halo on the outer reaches of the system. Um, and, and there are a lot of ships. Like, his full force is on display here, which is strange that this is not a colony you've ever heard of. This isn't a, um, you know, some secret headquarters or something like that. It, it seems like a nothing system with no living people on it. And just a ton of rogue traders set up in a defensive pattern. Which probably is a terrible sign. Also, if we uh, were still considering trying to uh, screw them over again, we like that was totally out of our heads at this point. We have, if you count the shuttles, two ships. <laughs> you you have a little bit more than that. Three, <laughs> you three ships? A, you're a confidently uh, <laughs> equipped rogue trader, but you are not a fleet by any means. <laughs> Okay, two ships with names. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and one of those ships almost got you killed. <laughs> yes. So you cross Roth's picket uh, and enter the defensive orbit of the system, and you're told to wait there. And uh, not having a whole lot of other options, you do, which gives Echo her first chance to really sit down and take a look at the reliquary itself. So she figures out that it's five or six millennia old, but it's of imperial design, uh, and it probably originated with the ecclesiarchy. And whatever is inside appears to be psychically inert, which is weird. Yeah, you guys were hoping that it was a little bit older than that. You thought it would maybe be a pre-heresy reliquary, something real juicy. But Yeah, like uh, an STC. It, I was hoping for an STC. <laughs> right. Uh, it's not. <laughs> a slightly sharper knife. That's what I right. wanted. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's also unlikely to consume your your entire ship and all of your crew in a in a in a warp rift. So you know that's nice. And it's unlikely to be horribly tainted by being carried around by chaos reavers. So bonus, right? So the next day, you uh, receive a hailing from the planet itself, and you are invited down to a landing zone on Malajak Prime. So we enter orbit, and our scans show that this planet looks as awful as it seemed at first glance. 
Uh, it's a desert planet, and the upper atmosphere is full of storms of glass shards. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's a nice place. <laughs> Roth's men on the surface send coordinates for a landing zone, um, even though the area around that landing zone doesn't look like there's anything of note there. But, you know, we got to go down. Fine. We load ourselves, the reliquary, our honor guard, and one company of spec op soldiers into two dropships and um, drop ourselves onto the planet. <laughs> yeah, so as you approach, uh, you notice there is a gap in the storms over the landing zone, and you drop right through that gap. Um, and naturally, it begins to fill almost as soon as you enter. Yeah, do you remember the last thing that we saw that was in a drop pod? It was a bunch of guns, and it landed. And orcs. <laughs> yeah, and then it got filled with orcs, okay? So I, this was a horrible idea. This was the worst idea. Uh, it is the best way to get down to the planet, actually. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, no, I'm sure it is. <laughs> so uh, so your character, actually, Trank, is doing the piloting, and you're uh you're encountering some pretty bad turbulence as it were yeah so we talked about this a little bit last week in our genesis review how piloting is always this um separate subsystem where you either have like nothing to do you sort of twiddle your thumbs and go hey try not to kill all of us huh Uh, or you're the pilot who has spent a lot of their skills um being able to do this and hoping that you don't kill the entire party so trank uh has taken up a bit of piloting but since I don't want to spend all my points on piloting, he's not very good at it. He's just the best pilot in the crew. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) A perfectly adequate pilot. (laughs) Yep. And and yeah, it shows, uh, you know, the, the turbulence is pretty rough. Uh, you suffer some light damage as you come through the storm. Uh, there are a number of serious near misses, but ultimately, you would survive. And as you're going through this, getting tossed about, uh, Echo and Trix are staring out the window, wondering if this is how they're going to die. And they both separately see something very strange, a black shape that mars the landscape. And then as quickly as they see it, almost before their minds even recognize it, the storm shifts and the, the black shape disappears. But when you finally pass through the upper atmosphere alive, neither of them can explain it but they know they both saw it this obsidian black fortress nestled into the side of uh one of the high mountains um just off to the to the west as you came through the storm that is an ominously specific description almost like there's something strange about them having had such a good sense of what it was and we'll find out exactly why it's so ominous next week So this week, we are uh, answering a listener email as we discuss play-by-post gaming. So this one comes from Lori. He says, I remember hearing about at least one of you playing in play-by-post games in some earlier episodes. How's that going for you? Uh, He continues, I'm playing in a couple of play-by-post games myself that run as a Facebook group where the DM posts the scene and players post their actions as comments. I've been DMing an in-person group as well, but we recently had twins, and I don't foresee having time for those meetings in the next few years. Congratulations. But the play-by-post works really well, so I've thought about running a game myself. There isn't a lot of information out there on how to do it, but as I'm playing in some, I can see it. So finally, my question is, what should a DM of a play-by-post game know about the differences compared to in-person play? 
And as a follow-up, what should you suggest to players on which classes or abilities to avoid? Because some abilities and spells pretty much require battle map and miniatures for clever and inventive use, like some pushing and pulling abilities or wall of fire, things like that. Abilities that use reactions are another thing that seem hard to integrate seamlessly into play-by-post. So from these questions, uh, we can definitely tell that Lori has has some experience with play-by-post games because this is definitely the stuff that comes up a lot. Um, we're going to get to specific answers, but this episode we're going to talk in general about play-by-post gaming, what it is, how you can get into it, and how you can get the most out of it. So let's start with the basics. What is it? It's playing RPGs via a written time-delayed medium. And usually that's an internet forum, but you could be doing it via email. Or Facebook, as it were. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, and this is um this is sort of differentiated from play by chat or roll twenty because it's not live. Uh there's no voice. Uh, often, you know, other players in the GM are completely anonymous to each other and there's no like at the same time, you know, synchronous element to the game. It's completely asynchronous as well. Right. So players will take turns writing down uh, what it is they do. Um, And, you know, it can take hours, even days for someone else to respond. It's uh, it's the latest iteration of playing chess via the mail. Right. So if it takes so long, why would people be interested in this kind of gaming? So I think Laurie touched on it a little bit in his email. But time, right? You can play whenever you have it. Um, It's usually okay to skip a day or two. Um, You don't have to worry about scheduling a session where everyone's available or rescheduling it if somebody can't do it. Um, You don't have to schedule it around other events. You can just, you know, play at night or in the morning when you wake up, uh, maybe during your lunch break, on your commute, um, at work, I guess. What? What? Um, I believe there are a fair number of our listeners who uh, listen to us while at work. Well, yeah, but while doing their job. <laughs> maybe. Well, fair enough. What maybe Actually, if you are a call center employee and yet you listen to us at work, kudos, let us know. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah, often when I get up in the morning, if... Um, you know, you, you're playing play that post with people all around the world. So um, sometimes their replies will come in in the middle of the night while you're sleeping. And I'll wake up and be like, hey, cool, a thing happened. And then I'll just, you know, take a couple minutes and, and respond first thing in the morning, you know. And probably by like around noon, there's another response. And, you know, maybe on my lunch break, I'll like write my response back. Yeah, gaming 24 hours a day. Can't get enough of it. Because another good reason to play play by post is it can supplement the in-person gameplay that you have, whether you know it's a weekly game or a monthly game. It could just be that you're you feel like it's not quite enough gaming. And I think for a lot of us, we're like, ah, oh, I just I just wish I could be in one more game, um, right? And then you know, for others of us, you don't get a chance to play at all. I mean, Lori mentioned it; he's got twins. A lot of us sometimes we sort of drop out of gaming. For a little while when life gets extremely busy for a short time, like when you have kids or when you're uh, in exams. Right. I used to travel uh, 100% for work and that made it rather difficult. But aside from the time that you spend doing it, um, uh, one of the reasons I really like play by post is variety. 
Um, it might be that you have a solid group that you meet with every week, but they're only interested in playing D&D, and you want to try a different game. If you want to get into World of Darkness, Play by Post is the place for you to do that, without necessarily having to convince the rest of your gaming group that, hey, we should take a break from our regularly scheduled game and do something else. Yep. Um, it's also great if you are uh, someone like us who is always creating characters or character ideas. Um, this is a, another way to supplement your gaming so that you can actually put them into practice. Um, play by post, it, it makes it easy. Uh, you will often be creating lots of characters uh, as you apply for different games and that sort of thing. It can also help you facilitate your role playing. So because people are typing out their responses on their own time, players tend to take a lot of time to craft those written responses. That means that you can take your time to write a lot of description. Um, often people will uh, convey what their character is thinking by actually writing out the inner monologue. And that's something that can't really happen at a table playing in person because that's you hogging the spotlight. But in play-by-post, I mean, if someone's bored with that, they could just skip over it if they really wanted to. But it takes such a short time to read your post that you aren't... Um, preventing anyone else from also expressing themselves and, and using the spotlight. Yeah, it's also helpful if you are uh, unsure of your role playing or you don't like improvisation. Um, it, it can help you get into your character if you're uncomfortable at a physical table, right? You don't have to be an actor. You're just a writer. You've got a, a degree of separation from the people around you because you're just posting um, words on the internet. Yeah, if you love the idea of playing the bard who makes up songs all the time, but you don't actually want to make up songs at a table with human beings, and you actually aren't very good at making up songs on the fly, that's fine. You can take as long as you want and write some songs and just post them on the internet, and no one will know that it took you a very long time, or you know, it took you an hour to come up with that witty comment for uh, cutting words. Right. <laughs> it's a funny thing about writing RPG songs. <laughs> <laughs> How long do they take you? So as part of our Rogue Trader recaps, I always take some song from like pop culture and reskin the words to fit Rogue Trader, or at least 40K broadly. And uh, I would say that takes about as long as it does to write the recap itself, sometimes longer. <laughs> but you get you get something out of that, so good. <laughs> Yeah, I get to listen to one song about 30 times trying to figure out which section of the lyrics I can adapt. Nice. You're not just going to rhyme zone. You're like, oh, what rhymes with blood? Yeah, but, mm. you know, you got to get the meter and everything. Spud? Mm. Also, please, I already know everything that rhymes with blood. I'm writing 40K songs. <laughs> and probably one of my favorite things about um a play-by-post character is that you can really get into detail that it can be hard to hold in your head all the time. You can take as long as you want to come up with information. Um, so if you're like some of some people who've contacted us have said, you know, I really love 40k. It sounds so cool, but I don't know that much about it. You know, I'm I'm wondering about how to like where can I learn as much as I can about it so that I can effectively play one of these characters at a table. But if you're in play-by-post, you can just keep the Warhammer wiki or like Lexicanum up in a tab. And if you want to sound like a librarian, you know, you want to use the right terminology of a battle brother, great. You just go look it up. Like I played in a Star Wars game where I was a Mandalorian. I didn't know anything about Mandalorians except Boba Fett, you know, but I just Googled <laughs> a bunch of it and my posts were great. 
<laughs> I just Googled a bunch of it. I found Wikipedia, and I realized I didn't want to be a Mandalorian anymore. <laughs> uh, save searches off. Oh, no. <laughs> Fans of Mandalorians are idiots. <laughs> Um, specifically in Star Wars, uh, I have noticed that people also like to uh, put language translations. So, you know, there's, a, you know, a mi- literally millions of different languages in Star Wars and everyone's playing the different species. I, I kind of like that in the dialogue, people will, you know, use whatever Star Wars uh, language translator is available online and just actually type the, the foreign dialogue in the paragraph. And then later there's a little spoiler. And it's kind of neat because you say the spoiler says what language it is, and you just go, "Well, I don't. My character doesn't speak that language. I just won't open the spoiler. I I have no idea what they said." And actually, that's kind of cool. Huh? That is kind of cool. I mean, very, very, very nerdy, but kind of cool. Oh God! So, so oh my God! I have spent way too long with Star Wars language translators. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, there is no reason to get embarrassed because. Play by post often grants you anonymity. Yeah, if you're easily embarrassed, if you're a very shy person, if that is what is keeping you from getting involved in an in-person game, no problem. Play by post, you just have a random handle on an internet forum and nobody knows who you are. In fact, if you are someone who is feeling harassed in the community, uh, a woman, a person of color, um, someone who's LGBT and you don't live in an area where people are particularly welcoming um on the internet everyone assumes you're a mid-20s white man so oh, sometimes really? that's good sometimes Mid- that's not so good mid-20s huh <laughs> uh 17? I assume they're all 14 year old whites <laughs> <laughs> it depends on if they're talking about my mother <laughs> true uh this can also be a good forum uh to handle games that involve more sensitive topics, um, especially something that um, it, it can give you kind of a degree of separation from having to deal with emotional responses in real time. Yeah, um, maybe you want to play an evil character, but that's not really something that you want to act out in person around other people or around people that you know. Voila, the internet. Or you want to play that all tabaxi party tabaxi slash ewoks because that's your thing (laughs) yeah furries very sensitive topic (laughs) yeah i mean we uh we recently had a game where uh cannibalism became uh a necessity for survival it was not required okay that was all you guys (laughs) (laughs) all right we led ourselves into a path by which cannibalism (laughs) became necessary for survival uh and that was something that was not my favorite thing to have to process uh as a person and think about uh but you know in in something like a play-by-post environment it can be a lot easier to do that because you can sort of check out if the conversation um goes beyond where you're interested or you can just sort of um, make sure you're in a good headspace to, you know, process that sort of information before you engage with it. Yeah, it's much easier to sort of um, drop the veil if it's just a post on a forum as opposed to someone actually speaking in front of you. Right. I would like to note, however, um, it was only the shepherd who ended up eating a person. <laughs> yes. Also, this cannibalism was a firefly game. <laughs> <laughs> And none of you were Reavers yet. We're all Reavers now. (laughs) The Reavers are us. 
Yeah. So Play by Post Gaming has not uh, surpassed regular face-to-face gaming for a reason. Uh, There are definitely some drawbacks in comparison. Yeah, oh my god, it takes forever. Forever. Yeah, the pace of your game will uh, will be significantly slower. You know, a uh, hundred or even two hundred posts might cover just a few minutes of the game narrative story. Yeah, in a D twenty based game that I played in, uh, over the course of a year and a half, we gained half a level. We went from halfway through level six to level seven. Oh, congratulations! You finished one fight. Yeah, actually, yeah, that was exactly it. We spent six months in a fight. <laughs> it's not always like that, but it certainly can happen. Yeah, and and this this also comes about when you've got, um, you know, games that are being played using systems that are specifically like not not just not optimized for play by post, but specifically um, have some characteristics that are challenging for play by post, and we'll talk about those a little bit later. Mm-hmm. And all of this leads to the undeniable fact that play-by-post games fall apart all the time. I think probably two-ish years ago, um, I was in simultaneously seven play-by-post games. Not because I wanted to play seven play-by-post games, but because I knew statistically the vast majority of those would end within the first month. And currently, I am now in literally zero of them because they all fell apart. Yeah, uh, that's just part and parcel with the business. The other drawback is just the reality of uh, weirdos on the internet. You know, um, there are plenty of normal people on the internet, but there are also some very, very strange people on the internet, people you might not otherwise be crossing paths with. Um, you know, you risk running into those types of people when you play play-by-post. Yeah, a lot of people like uh, D&D Adventures League, but one of the consistent criticisms is that you're sort of ending up with people who couldn't find a regular group to play with. Play-by-post is that plus the internet. (laughs) (laughs) It's that and true. (laughs) And also with the internet. (laughs) Um, There are some ways to mitigate this and to avoid it. We'll get into that a bit later. And then... One other thing to note uh, could be a drawback for you. Play-by-post games very much skew towards English-focused. Um, they're they're almost all played in English. Uh, the the play-by-post communities for for other countries tend to be significantly smaller, so everyone is gravitated mostly towards English. Given that this is an English-speaking podcast, that's probably not a problem for you, listener, but it might be for perhaps some of your friends or something like that. Yeah, and you know maybe you're you're fine with hearing or speaking English, but play by post is very focused on written English, so it can be difficult to get into a game or to stay in a game because you know it's it's like an application process. People, uh, who, the person running the game probably selects you from a batch of applicants, and if your grammar isn't relatively impeccable, it, it can be easy to get overlooked. Yeah, I think. Uh probably the best advice for dealing with that is to just make a note up front that, you know, um, English is not your first language. Um, and, and that, you know, hopefully, uh, GMs can see past that. Yeah. One of my favorite things is, um, actually it happens a lot on Reddit. Someone will write whatever comment and the next comment is, uh, a grammar Nazi saying, what the hell is wrong with you? 
And then the person responds, I'm sorry, English isn't my first language. And the, the troll is like, oh, wow, no, your English is wonderful. <laughs> I, I like the, altern- the alternate form of that, which is like, oh, sorry, English is not my first language. There's one typo. And I'm like, I don't write that well. Right. I know. <laughs> I'm not very good at this. It's only my fourth language. Right. <laughs> All right, so if we haven't uh, scared you off of play-by-post yet, let's talk about how to play play-by-post, from how to get started in it to how it actually works. So first you're going to need to find a location, a destination where the game will happen. And most commonly that is an internet forum. And there are sort of three big places where that happens. The first is Giant in the Playground. You probably know this from Order of the Stick. Uh, it's Rich Burlew's site, and if you haven't already, take a look at the forums and just scroll down, and there's a whole play-by-post section, which is extremely active. Also, there is Mythweavers. You may have heard of this site before because they host free online character sheets for probably 30 different game systems. Um, if you haven't done this already, I highly recommend adding your sheets to that. You can, you know, you sign in with the password, you keep that little... Keep them in a repository, and then, you know, if you're ever out at a game and you've forgotten your sheet, you can just open it up on your phone. Uh, but they have also quite an active play-by-post forum community. Uh, not quite as active as Giant in the Playground, but you do get access to a lot more um, obscure games. Giant in the Playground tends to be mostly focused on D&D or Pathfinder or Star Wars, um, but you'll get really obscure stuff like Ars Magica on um, Mythweavers. Then there's also Gamers Plane, which is a website um, uh, that's part of the RPG Academy network. Um, it's not quite a forum, but it's not quite like a, like a standalone website. It's sort of a forum that's been highly optimized for running play-by-post. Yeah. Um, it has fewer games than the other two, but they're... I would say better curated and the site itself looks better. It's sort of easier on the eyes. Um, also note that uh, I think often gamers playing games are private. So only the people who are playing in the game and the GM can actually see what everyone is saying. Whereas Giant in the Playground and Mythweavers are all public, which has both positives and negatives. And you can also just play on a private wiki. Um, we... Some of our games have a wiki on Obsidian Portal. I personally personally like PB Works. Um, I've run a game or two just via wiki. So, you know, someone edits it with their uh, contribution and then someone else just goes to the next paragraph and, you know, writes what, what they do. And lastly, you can also find a group in real life and just do it via email, which is kind of like... Um, what we've talked about in the intercession communication episode, it's just played out via email, except that's the whole game. You're not actually uh, meeting in person to play. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't actually have to be somebody, you know, in real life. It it really can just be people that, you know, from any other community, right? Um, so people you meet from another forum that you frequent with a different subject or, or whatever, um, there's no reason you can't switch to email. Basically, any place where you have the ability to enter lots of text, um, ideally some way to integrate dice rolling, but even that's not super important, um, and, and just a way to uh, you know keep record of, of um, the long back and forth. I haven't seen it 
really on Reddit, but I, I'm sure there's a way to do it. You just, I think you would need a, a group of people, maybe on a private subreddit where you're not upvoting right. everything so it stays in order. Yeah, you'd have to switch the, the view order to most recent, recent instead of yeah. hottest. Yeah, hottest. It's all fire elementals. <laughs> um, so once you figured out where to play, uh, you need to find a game. So you can just ask your friends, hey, you want to play some more games, but we don't have time to meet? Let's just go to one of these forums and we'll start up a game. Done. Great. I already know you. We'll play whatever we want. But more than likely, you don't have that group. So you're going to go to one of these forums and you're just going to browse them looking for looking at the uh, new game ads, the, the recruitment ads to see games that you're interested in. And the first thing that you need to do is read the big 16. This is a phrase that's used on the giant and the playground forums. Um, but most forums have some version of it. It is a big questionnaire that the GM fills out so that everybody knows exactly what they're in store for. So this will cover things like what system are we playing? What's the setting? Uh, what kind of characters are we doing? What type of theme is this? What are the restrictions to building a character? And then what do I need from you in order to um, select you for this game? What do you need to send to me to define your character? Yeah, this is all like in our plot hooks episodes when we're like, oh, this would be a great one shot. This is what it is. Hey, you're all demigods and you need to pick a cleric domain. Uh, all of you are gnolls. So once you've read all of that, then it's time to get to work on your character. Now, typically in play-by-post, you have to build the character before you're allowed into the game. Uh, you submit that character to the GM, and then the GM selects the players and characters that they would like in the game themselves. What that means is it your chances of getting into any particular game are low, but your chances of getting into a game are high. So you just need to keep submitting, and if you get rejected submit again to a different game so we wouldn't be a useful podcast if we didn't have a few tips of how to uh hoodwink gms into letting you into their games but are we a useful podcast i don't know do we have the tips or not <laughs> i mean you know if we trademark that phrase then i think we are technically quote a useful podcast <laughs> total party thrill a useful podcast <laughs> sometimes <laughs> michael scott <laughs> <laughs> So read the big 16 very carefully. The questionnaire at the beginning where the GM is telling you, hey, here's what you need to know about this game. Read that. This is, this is applying to a job. This is the job description. Read it. And look for things that are going to make you not want to play this game. There are so many games out there. Um, be picky with them. Like, for example, as soon as I see 5th edition rolled stats, I'm like, nope, nope, no thanks. I want, play, I want a point buy or nothing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's some other some other warning signs to be out there. Um, take a look at how many words the GM and the other players in the applications have written. Um, make sure that that aligns with what you're expecting to contribute and also what you're expecting to consume. Likewise, pay attention if they're very brief on description or things seem very loose and poorly defined. That likely means that the GM is not totally committed to this game yeah if they start out with hey i've never done this before but i thought what the heck i'll try it yeah that game is gonna last a week yeah <laughs> uh, 
Or, you know, on the flip side, if they are extremely exacting about the very specific types of things that they're looking for, um, even if you get in, there's a good chance you're not going to enjoy the actual playing. Oh, no, I would go I would go the opposite, actually. Uh, it, it, whether or not you enjoy it, the game is likely to die because the players aren't living up to the GM standard. And and that's sort of the, the risk that I always have with looking at play-by-post is like, how invested am I going to get before this game dies on me, right? So I'm always looking for signs that uh, a game won't have legs. Um, but to Shane's point, don't get wedded to your PC until it's actually been accepted into a game. I know that, you know, those of you out there who really like building characters or coming up with character concepts, um, you get super excited, right? Oh, man, I love this personality. I really like this character. I'm so excited to, like, see their arc. But (laughs) if they don't even get to start playing in a game, let alone dying early, right? If they don't even get to start, you're never going to be able to see that happen. So don't get your hopes up too high until you're actually playing a game. And to help facilitate that, I would say you're going to be applying to a bunch of different games, right? So don't kill yourself and build seven different characters uh, in four different systems uh, with like five different concepts, right? Pick one, maybe two concepts that you're super interested in playing. And then whatever system and whatever level that the character is going to start at in this game, build the same character concept just slightly tweaked you know so i i build a character at level three because that's what this game starts at um it's a tiefling rogue uh and i didn't get in okay well that kind of sucks but here's another game it starts at level one okay i just take my same tiefling rogue and make him level one you know yeah i would just be careful with that um make sure that you're also tailoring your characters to the game that the gm wants to run Right when you apply, make sure that your your concept isn't going to stick out like a sore thumb. Um, it'll save you time in the application process, but it's unlikely to get accepted if it isn't fitting the theme. So Lori asked, "What are um, good things for play by post players to play, or you know what what should he suggest that they play, and what should he suggest that they not play?" And there are certain kinds of mechanics that just don't work as well in play by post. I think first off, you're going to want to choose something like choose a character with a lot of variety, uh, many different options, and one that can be self-sufficient because one, you're going to be playing this character for ideally a very long time. It takes forever for things to happen. So you could be going two years at the same level. You want to be able to do different things. As for self-sufficiency, more than likely, you don't know who these other players are. Um, the social contract should be in place, but you actually aren't a hundred percent sure that in the middle of the battle, they're not going to be like, uh, go screw. I'm going to leave and not heal you. I'm actually going to save my own skin. So it's nice to make sure that you have like a tiny bit of self-healing or, um, you know, you're decent at some skills while it can be fun to play the big dumb barbarian who is only good at punching things, you probably in a play-by-post game want to make sure that they're good at tracking or perception or stealth or something. It's also helpful to build broad characters so that you always have some ability that you can use because because of the pace of play-by-post games, it's unlikely that you'll run into the 
um, specific scenario that you specialized for. So it can be more fun and, and getting to do more things if you've got uh, lots of small useful abilities rather than a single large ability. And Lori is right. You do want to reduce the number of reactive abilities that you have. Now, this doesn't mean reducing the number of off-turn abilities. Off-turn is actually fine because you have tons of time to decide that you want to use that ability. You know, you want to use a, a reaction to cast the spell that doesn't have a trigger. Um, it's actions that are in response to other players that really bog the game down because you need to uh, sort of be on the watch for the trigger to happen. And if you miss the window and they've already moved on to something else or the GM has responded, you either don't get used to use your ability or you have to sort of tell everyone, hey, hey, wait, hold on, I needed to do something. Yeah, I mean, you can choose things like shield because they only affect you, but even then, it's still like, you know, if a... If an NPC attacks you or something, the the GM wants to move on to the next character turn because those tend to take longer than GM turns. So you're going to get bypassed with the shield spell. Um, so it, it's still like I, I would just avoid anything that you're not doing on, on your designated turn. Um, there are abilities in 5th edition especially that are just totally hazardous, right? Things like Bardic Dice um, or some of the reaction types. Uh, for the Battlemaster fighter are just going to be very difficult to use from a practical perspective. They're a little bit easier if the trigger is your action. So something like um, precision strike from the Battlemaster. Okay, I attack. I can see the like the post that I missed. Okay, so I immediately post again and say, actually, I'm going to use the precision die. That's right. probably fine. All right, so specifically for Lori, what are some tips for GMs who are running play-by-post games? So I think step one, always choose your players carefully. Um, make sure that you're getting players that seem like they're going to fit in well to your game. Build characters that are interesting and are going to continue to participate. Um, don't just take the first few that apply. Yeah, um, I think new GMs on play-by-post make this mistake it's not first come first served uh all that all that usually gets you is someone who's like home from school or um currently unemployed and just is spending all day on a forum (laughs) spending all day in seven games huh (laughs) (laughs) i don't know what you're talking about (laughs) i knew it wouldn't all pan out it's like dating (laughs) you need to have irons in the fire online dating maybe (laughs) Um, yeah, and, and you want to leave the submissions open for long enough to get a good pool of applicants. Um, but also keep in mind that the longer you leave submissions open, the more interest in the game is at risk of waning. Um, that can be good for weeding out players, but it can also risk losing good players as well. Yeah, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't leave it open for more than a few weeks. Um, but it is nice, you know, keep a, a log up a public log, maybe in like the first post, just edit the first post um, with the character sheets that have been submitted so that people who are applying from here on can say, oh, well, you know, three people have already submitted a rogue. Um, I probably shouldn't submit a rogue. Then in terms of picking the players themselves, uh, it can be helpful if you look at their public posts previously on the forum Um, You can, on some places, look at how many characters they've submitted. Uh, You can just see what their 
general forum experiences or ideally even seen some of the other games that they're playing in or have played in. Yeah, you can often read what their characters are doing in other games and it can be very obvious very quickly that you either do or don't want this person in your game. Mm -hmm. Um, It can also be helpful to ask uh, what their prior play-by-post experience is and why their last game fell apart. (laughs) (laughs) I was awful. (laughs) (laughs) No, but uh, you, you can get an idea of like, you know, what was going on there. Lori also specifically asks about maps, and this is, I think, GM preference. I've seen both. Theater of the Mind works really well in play-by-post because everything's written down. There's no confusion about, wait, I thought you said that this was over here. You can just scroll up and see. But some GMs take a little bit of time and do something like uh, they open a public Google Sheets document and then draw a battle map inside the grid you know you just change the the cell sizes and then shade them and you know make a little legend and then everyone everyone just edits the sheet to move their character around and remember like a battle takes a month often so everyone has plenty of time to use the map yeah i mean and you don't even have to get that fancy you can take a bitmap and people can move their uh letter around the map and paint look at you all freeform uh-huh. Uh you can also use range bands. Um so games like Genesis or Star Wars um use, you know, relative distance rather than tactical distance and and that works well too in a forum. Yeah, but usually this isn't something that uh, a player really has input in. It's just whatever the GM feels like doing. Yeah. I would also say as a GM on the spectrum between railroading your players and having it be complete sandbox, I would lean toward railroading at least until your players demonstrate that they know how to take hold of the narrative in this kind of game. Because otherwise, like in sandbox type games I've played on play by post, it's usually it devolves into people sort of standing around going, oh, I don't really know what to do. And you're not looking at each other, so you can't quickly have a conversation about what would be the interesting thing to do you know that you need a lot of back and forth in order to make those kind of decisions and remember every volley of information can take 24 hours and so it just bogs things down so much that eventually no one decides anything yeah uh if your game spends five days deciding to go east or west uh it's probably not going to make it to either direction yeah and this also means that it can be helpful to try to respond to all of your players in, in one batch, like a batch of responses. This doesn't mean that you only respond one time a day. It's fine to respond multiple times a day. But if you are responding to one player's post, make sure that around the same time you're responding to everyone else's post. Because if you respond to player A but not the others, players B, C, and D are just going to think that you missed their post and then you know they're going to post in the out-of-character form, hey, wait, did you miss this? Uh, I'm confused. And then everything gets all screwed up. Yeah, this can also mean um, waiting a little bit longer to post if only you know maybe one player has posted in, the, in a time window when you intended to respond. Um, it can be good if you let some other players jump in. That way you're not letting one player sort of drive the narrative too far before the others get a chance to weigh in. So speaking of driving the narrative, both players and GMs should be writing their posts in a way that move the game forward because that's always the inertia that you're trying to overcome in a play-by-post game. So when you write your response, make sure that you're always leaving a hook for other players. 
You want to make it really obvious that you're waiting for a response from them or that you're ready to move the narrative onward. You know, if you're in a building, you've uh, completed uh, the, the buying that you need to do here in this shop. Don't just say, I'm done. Say, okay, I've completed my shopping here. Join me outside. And then my character steps to the door, opens it, and steps outside. Yeah, likewise, um, while no one wants to read a novel with every player's post, um, excessively terse answers can really start to bog a game down. Um, Keep in mind that giving one-word answers, you know, just yes or just no, can mean an entire day for other players to respond. Um, So just a simple agreement actually slows the game down more than agreement and a suggestion. Um, Saying no means that other players have to come up with new ideas and then wait for those to get sent, read, and, and, you know, reviewed as well. Yeah, maybe shot down again for another day. Right. Uh, When you are posting, make multiple rolls in a single post. If you're in combat, make all of your attacks and all of your damage rolls and all of your triggered attacks in the same post, and you just ignore the rolls that don't end up getting triggered. Think creatively about how you can do this with the dice roller available in most forums. Like, um, I was in a Star Wars game where I had uh, force power that did a different amount of damage depending on what the result of the check was. Uh, Other games, you know, depending on number of successes is how much damage you do. So I just had it roll all the dice separately, for the maximum damage and then i would just add them up um afterward right so i would just roll 10d6 because that is the most i could possibly do and given the check that i got i actually only did 66 that equals this much yep and then along that vein also keep in mind you can make multiple skill checks at the same time so rather than making a perception check and then you know the gm responding well it's not really perception it's insight or um, you know, making a nature check and finding out it should be religion. You can make all of those checks at the same time uh, and use that to figure out you know what is it that's rustling in the bushes over there. Um, and then likewise, if you've got similar skills that uh, might be applied, go ahead and just mention those bonuses as well so that the GM can see it and then roll for you when you haven't provided a roll. Yeah, maybe it's religion, maybe it's arcana, but I have plus five to both. Here's a d20 plus five. And it's fine to include contingency actions, but try to limit it to like one, which is an, an if-then statement. So I'll make f- all four of my attacks, and obviously you're rolling all those attacks and all the damage. Uh, and they'll focus on the nearest goblin, and then I'm moving toward the closest goblins as I drop them. And then, you know, the GM knows, okay, the first attack didn't kill the first goblin, the second one did, so then you're moving to the next one, your third attack hits them, etc., then the other thing to keep in mind is sort of the the novelization structure um, because you're jumping perspectives and and authors really uh, between each post. Um, keep in mind that you can sort of go back, you know, uh, a few seconds or even a few minutes in the narrative to catch up on something specific that your character did, as long as it doesn't invo- like invalidate any other narrative that's already happened. So, for example, you can add the flourish that. Yeah, my last turn, you know, I killed this goblin. Um, some other rounds of combat have happened. You can then pick up your next post as, you know, as I wipe the blood from my blade, uh, I yell out a, a battle cry and then charge forward to do whatever, right? Um, 
it doesn't hurt anything to do that characterization going back, but you also wouldn't want to interrupt anybody else in process, um, you know, by trying to squeeze something in out of time. All right, so as we wrap up the main topic here, Ishan, how are your play-by-post games going? I heard you recently had seven of them that died. Well, not that recently, but yes, the vast majority of them died. Now, I will say I was in a long-running one, and it ended not because the game ended, but be- it was my fault. I dropped the ball on my end and got way too far behind and had to to drop out. Like, work was just too busy, um, which is unfortunate. I don't know. I might actually come crawling back to them at some point and be like, hey, could I have just disappeared for a bit and then show up again? Would that be all right? <laughs> um, I want you back. <laughs> You're going to show up outside of their forum with uh, Peter Gabriel playing on your boombox? That's right. I'm going to write a song for them. Oh, they're going to love it. In um, your post. <laughs> so I'm currently in another game right now. I'm actually running through Tomb of Annihilation with our Savage Sage build from the Character Creation Forge Codex. Oh, boy. Which I'm really excited about. I actually, one of the problems with that build in the first place was you can't cast spells while you're raging, right? It's almost like having two characters that do separate things. Right. But in Play by Post, who cares? You know, I'm going to spend months not raging because we're not in a combat and then i'll spend a month in a rage that only lasts 10 rounds right (laughs) (laughs) so i'm excited about that although it is tomb of annihilation there's a good chance that i'm just gonna die for me i think i i like staying in at least one play-by-post game although probably not more than two simultaneously uh to supplement the the gaming that we do on a regular basis you know we've talked before um, our group meets once a week but recently we we missed four weeks in a row because of the holidays and people's schedules and, and work and sickness and all of that and like i was so glad that i had my play-by-post games to just sort of like scratch that itch you know i do that's the itch i get every time that i briefly consider playing play-by-post myself <laughs> Uh, so far, I have held off, but uh, I, I I certainly have played play by post in the past, and I'm I'm not uh, opposed to it. I think it's just um, it's a it's a unique gaming experience. I don't think it's a replacement for face to face gaming. I think it's actually a a totally different type of game. Um, I I still it's one of the things that I always take a look at when I read new RPGs is how well might this work as a play by post. Um, because I think there there has to be a set of mechanics out there that really would work great for play by post that that will avoid all the pitfalls and, and kind of keep the narrative driving forward and hand off very well. Um, you know, we suggested birthright, and I would so be down to try a birthright game uh, with like no adventuring, just domain politics. Now that I think about it, I don't actually know how people use uh, like the Genesis or Edge of the Empire. A narrative dice system on a forum roller even though i know people do play it play by post so i'll probably have to look into that yeah um and to Lori's point like you're everyone at some point will find themselves in a situation where it's tough to game and it's kind of nice to have the play by post there for you always there for you when you need it and there for you to ignore when you don't all right do you hear that ishan Oh, that's Peter Gabriel. Uh, I'm hoping that my old play-by-post game can hear it from here. I want you back. Well, if you're going to go back, you're going to need a new character. So let's move on to the Character Creation Forge and roll one up for you. 
Before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane, at Mundangerous, that's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan, at Evil Sans Carne, that's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show, at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram, at TotalPartyThrill. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building the mailman. Uh, Carl Malone, right? See, I get sports references. You only got that sports reference because I told you about that sports reference. You didn't know he was on the Dream Team too. I did not know that part. I knew that Carl Malone was the mailman, although I have no idea why I knew that. Uh, again, I think it was the Dream Team. <laughs> I think I'm too old for the Dream Team. You follow the Olympics, though. Everyone follows the Olympics. I did a little bit, like in anyway. 92. <laughs> Basketball players aside, uh, what is the mailman? Well, you know, neither snow nor rain nor heat nor gloom of night will stay these couriers from the swift completion of their appointed rounds, Shane. It's right there in Penn Station. Yeah. <laughs> you are not wrong. That is there. <laughs> I, I actually can't complain. My mail service is fantastic in our building. All right, so what's the build? It is Moon Druid 15, Bear Totem Barbarian 4, Ranger 1. Okay, so Ranger 1, uh, obviously that's going to get us tracking because the mailman cannot get lost. Uh, and then favorite enemy as well. And what's our favorite enemy? Dogs. Right. Children. <laughs> you get two. That's true. <laughs> From Druid, we're going to get 8th level spells. We're going to get Wild Shape. And you get access to great shapes like you know Bear and Direwolf. But remember, the horse, the regular old horse, has a 60-foot speed you get things like giant stag and all of the volos dinosaurs which are really nice in combat uh eagle is uh is the eagle perhaps uh a symbol for some sort of mail carrier i'm not uh, i'm not really not really sure a certain domestic mail carrier perhaps and note that the giant octopus has a swim speed of 60 feet plus at level 10 you get amazing things like the air elemental which has a fly speed of 90 feet and the earth elemental which can just walk through dirt you want to get somewhere great just go into the ground and if that doesn't do it for you you also get a handful of handy spells you can get things like long strider absorb elements and pass without trace i believe rain sleet uh, hail and the dark probably all count as elements well, maybe not the dark but you know necrotic dark vision. necrotic darkness no it doesn't actually work it's fine it's fine you get daylight uh you get also get useful things like locate object and skywrite uh yeah you can't lose that parcel you are a courier what right. happens if someone tries to steal it from you i mean this is D D. well you just locate it and i love that if you are a message delivery person um maybe you just walk outside and remember the the um range for skyrite is sight uh how far into the atmosphere can you see i'm pretty sure it's the whole way <laughs> okay <laughs> so all you need to do is point near the horizon at some point that is probably 150 miles away and with um, you know i'd say maybe a decent intelligence check write those words at an angle that can be viewed from another place about 150 miles away from that so that your target can read it <laughs> hashtag dnd physics <laughs> <laughs> it's only 10 words but man it's fast 
Uh, you'll also get things like protection from energy and freedom of movement, which again, help with that uh, neither rain nor sleet. Locate creature, which lets you find the person you actually need to deliver this to. Uh, control winds, tree stride, find the path, all ways to make sure that you're continuing to move forward towards your objective. You can wind walk. I think that's 300 miles an hour or miles a day, something like that. It's a lot. But, you know, forget that. Who needs teleport? You have transport via plants. That's right. anywhere on the same plane. <laughs> uh, and then last but not least, control weather. So you can make sure it's always a sunny day where you're headed. Yeah. Are you tired of that rain and sleet and hail? It goes away. <laughs> Right. Now, one class we haven't mentioned yet, we got Barbarian in there. Now, why is that? Uh, it's probably for, you know, unarmored defense and uh, resi- rage resistance and reckless attack, right? Right? Is that all they get? Definitely not going postal. Yeah, maybe maybe that's what the rage is for. <laughs> that's the rage. That's the rage. Yeah. <laughs> when you just can't take it anymore. Just you a can few always... times a day. That's all you yeah. need. <laughs> It's it's a healthy way to vent, at the very least. <laughs> right. At people's innards with your claws. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of leveling, we'll start out Ranger 1, because honestly, first level Ranger is probably pretty good mailman. Uh, then Druid 5 for third level spells and an ASI. Barbarian. All of it for an ASI. And then finish out Druid. So Ishan, who is your mailman? My mailman is a process server. Okay. My mailman delivers legal documents to people who do not want to have those legal documents. I feel like he's based in Sharn. Oh, I think that's a great idea. Yeah. Uh, actually, yeah, I'd go human uh, because uh, canonically House Orion, um, which has the mark of passage, is humans. And they, they use uh, teleport spells in order to deliver mail because they're couriers. Um but yeah, they would use locate creature in order to find the person, right? So, okay, I need to deliver these divorce papers to my um, uh, my husband who is in hiding. Here is a small lock of his hair. Use this to cast locate creature and find him and then tree stride to where he is and deliver this package, please. Nice. I also like the idea that uh, as a high-level adventurer... Um, you know, one thing you do as a druid is you write down all the animals you see because you're like, oh, I can turn into that animal now. And I like the idea that if you have transport via plants, no matter where you go, you are taking seeds from plants, from trees. And then you have your little druid grove back wherever you live. And if you need to go somewhere far away, great. You stick a seed in the ground, you cast plant growth, and then transport transport via plants. Done. <laughs> yeah, you have your, your druid grove filled with invasive species. <laughs> <laughs> you just kill them later. All you need is seeds. <laughs> or you awaken them, and then they behave. <laughs> All right, what about your mailman? So my mailman is a soldier. Uh, he is a member of a reconnaissance unit or reconnaissance company uh, for uh, you know a, a large army. Uh, they're often the outriders for the main force. Um, they could be, you know, even hundreds of miles ahead of, uh, ahead of them. And when they have reports or, uh, observations that they absolutely need to get back or, you know, intelligence, something like that, uh, they need to get it back across enemy lines and into friendly hands. They send the mailman. Uh, no one can get that, uh, sensitive Intel back to base faster and uh, more reliably than the mailman no one can dunk 
more reliably than the mailman. <laughs> and and no one will ever dunk on him. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Before we wrap up, we just want to take a moment to thank all of our Patreon supporters. Yeah, your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. And don't forget to visit there to check out the Character Creation Forge Codex, which uh, now features the mailman. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're starting a new series on playing characters of different alignments. And of course, we're beginning with Lawful Good. And in the Character Creation Forge? We're building the Goody Two-Shoes. Well, that's it for episode 130 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.